This also is a connection point. We do have these prayer cards out here with some really good-looking people on the front, our foster care families. We'd love for you to take one of these home like you do missionaries and you stick on your refrigerator and pray for us. And uh, that'd be fantastic. Well, let's dive in this morning. We just have a few minutes, uh, but I do want to continue on just for a few minutes talking about the, the person of the Holy Spirit that we have been talking about for the last couple of weeks. And I want to talk about it and recognize this piece to begin with several weeks ago, Mark Nicewander from Riverstone Church was here, and he he talked. He was talking about uh, the resurrection. And he kind of he said his, in his teaching, he said, "Here's the deal: it's like Costco." And I want you to kind of think of it this even way, even for you guys, as we talk through the work of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit. I want you to think about Costco, and I want you to think about the idea that when you walk through around lunchtime at Costco, if you remember, you walk, you know, you walk in, they have all these little booths set up, and they have these little tasters, right? You can kind of walk through all these tastes, and by the time you get done, you're a little bit full, right? But the idea is not just the tasters. The idea is that they want you to taste this little piece right here in hopes that you will buy the big thing, right? Whatever it may be. And so when we talk about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, I recognize Man, we're really just getting a taste test, right? Just getting like a taster over here that really what I'm asking is that beyond this point, that you would give yourself the time and the energy to, to really go learn, to pray into, and to grow in your knowledge and understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, what the Holy Spirit does in our life, and what it means for us. Because the idea is just a taster here. You're not going to get all the exhaust. You're not getting some exhaustive teaching in that. And so with that, I want to give you four resources this morning. And number four might be like an uh, what, like a what question mark for you. And I'll explain it. But here's four resources I want to give to you. There's not the only books on the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit. But just four you can begin with. Number one is R.A. Torrey, The Person and Work of the Holy Spirit, written in the early 1900s. It was this real foundational truth uh, and this, like, because this there's this charismatic movement, right? You had the Welsh revival that broke out in Wales, which then led to the Azusa Street revival in San Francisco. Which, honestly, the Welsh revival led this, the the Azusa Street revival, quite the most important revival that the, the U.S. has ever known. That was the birthplace of the charismatic Pentecostal movement. Uh, it's a powerful time. The greatest thing about it, that I love. I've read Frank Bartleman's account of this, and it was beautiful because. In, in, in the early 1900s, 1906, 1907, you had black and white together in worship, sharing a stage together, sharing the worship together, sharing the preaching together. It's unheard of. Um, just watching that happen. So anyway, so great. So personal word, Holy Spirit, great book. Second, uh, number two is Francis Chan's Forgotten God. You may have heard of it. I love this book for the simple reason. He speaks to a people primarily who actually have been in the church who maybe been in streams uh, of religion that maybe kind of pushed down a little bit or didn't talk much about the Holy Spirit. So he speaks about that for the first, I don't know, fifth of the book and then dives into some basic theology and his own story. It's just really profound. I encourage you to read it. The third is what Scott referenced last week. I've known this book since college, and it's been really, really cool to read different parts of it. But Leona Francis Choi wrote Power Lines, What Great Evangelical Leaders Believed About the Holy Spirit from 1850 to 1930. Again, these people, as you get in, if you've been around church, like our some of our seminaries and our universities have been named after people she's going to be talking about. And it's just beautiful and amazing to see the work of God that really was the foundation, honestly, of our country. 
and specifically about their experience, their knowledge, and their history with the Holy Spirit profound. And what you're going to get at the very end of the book is they have all these different stories. They all agree on one thing. Whatever the Holy Spirit is, you need him, right? And the fourth is Benny Hinn, Good Morning, Holy Spirit. And I just simply put that book there for this simple reason. When I was a freshman at Young Harris College, buddy of mine handed me that book, and I had no idea who Benny Hinn was, right? And so when I picked up the book and began to read this story, God used it specifically to teach me about relationship with the Holy Spirit, understand the Holy Spirit in a very personal way, an intimate way, and just radically, just radically shaped my knowledge of God. And then about three quarters into the book, all of a sudden someone says, well, you know who Benny Hinn is, right? So I have no idea who this guy is, right? And so I simply wanted to honor this. Like, I don't necessarily agree with all of his theology and his all this stuff. But the thing I simply wanted to honor was that Jesus used a book by this man to radically shape my understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And to honor Jesus this morning and the work he did in my life, I wanted to share that with you. So this morning, again, we want to give you a taster just very quickly about the person of the Holy Spirit, also primarily the work of the Holy Spirit, beginning this conversation. And if you look at the book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 4, remember Jesus tells his disciples, hey, listen, wait in the upper room for the promise. I'm going to fulfill my promise by sending the Holy Spirit, right? And then in verse 8, and this is what I want to land on this morning. It says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, semicolon, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And so in this, there's these two separate thoughts. So when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power, and then you will become my witnesses basically all over the world. And the part I want to land on this morning is this idea of power. This idea of power and the expectation of Jesus that he wants to flood his followers, his disciples, with his power. It's really important to know that this Greek word here is the Greek word dunamis. Dunamis. And dunamis has in mind exactly what you would think that power would mean. It would mean this inherent ability or strength, right? It speaks to ability, miracles, miraculous powers, and strength. So if I were to say your dunamis or my dunamis, you would think, oh, Steve's talking about this unique power that he possesses. Remember, was it God's warriors or something like that? They used to tear the phone books in two back in the 90s, right? They were so cool, like, oh, was right? Like, oh my gosh, look at that dunamis, right? That strength, that inherent ability that they have that I definitely don't have, right? So I have it right here. What can I say? Amen. But we got the whole dynamic. I don't have that inherent strength or ability like they did, but that's what it's talking about. It's talking about this inherent ability, this inherent strength that we ultimately, we all know, you recognize and see in Jesus, don't you? Like if you think of it, if someone says, tell me your favorite story about Jesus, you're probably going to tell a story of his dunamis, of his inherent strength and ability that is so unique and different that separates him. In fact, when you read the stories that the, the, the gospel writers tell of Jesus, they tell a lot of stories, and most of them are dunamis-type stories, like this supernatural ability beyond what most human beings can do that Jesus acknowledged, that he represented, and that he did. And so you hear stories of Jesus raising people the dead, like, you know, creating mud out of spit. What a crazy story. And putting someone's eyes, and their eyes became open, legs growing, all this type of stuff. But then you also see the stories that they tell of this unbelievable humility that Jesus embraces and expresses 
in the midst of persecution that most of us probably couldn't express like he could. You see his unbelievable choice of servanthood by literally washing his disciples' feet, which was unheard of. This expression of giving people dignity by sitting with a Sumerian woman at a well and talking to her and sharing the good news of the gospel with her, which was unheard of. Like when we talk about dunamis, we by nature think about all the things that we would like to do and express. We want to heal people. We want to see miracles, right? Like, yeah, because the idea is like it's really cool. But we don't necessarily want the servanthood of washing feet. We don't like the verse of decreasing so that he may increase type dunamis, right? We don't like those pieces, but that's what dunamis entails. Anything that Jesus represented in his nature that seemingly goes against our own human nature represents power, represents dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. It's this really cool word of understanding. So what we find then is that, this, listen, the same dunamis that Jesus is talking about is the same dunamis power that defined his life. In Luke chapter 8, verse 46, Jesus says, walking through a crowd of people, you know the verse that says, someone touched me. I know that power, dunamis, has gone out from me. Remember the, remember the woman with the issue of blood? She wants healing. Touch the hem of his garment. She does. She's healed. And Jesus, in some of his power, right, he felt it leave. And so there's this dunamis. And so Jesus in Acts chapter 1 says, listen, I have my dunamis. And dunamis represents everything you think that it does for Jesus. Healings. Miracles. Gift of discernment. The prophetic, humility, servanthood, dignity to human beings, breaking down stereotypes and socioeconomic stereotypes to say, no, then we're going to then graft in the Gentiles, right? Like Jesus has this dunamis, this power that he expresses. And so when Jesus comes and says, listen, I, I have this thing. This dunamis, this power that's been in me, I have a gift, a promise, I want to leave it for you. And so the same dunamis and power that resided in Jesus, he wants to give. And so what we find then in the book of Acts is you see Jesus in the Gospels with his dunamis. And hear this. Then you read to the book of Acts and what do you see? Well, you see the dunamis of Jesus now, the person of the Holy Spirit working through disciples. What you find is that every single miracle that Jesus did has its counterpart in the book of Acts. It's the same. They couldn't do ministry apart from dunamis. So Jesus says, well, there's not. There's, I guess there's just really one that can do all this so you can have mine. It belonged to the disciples and now it belongs to all of his followers. So let's just look real quickly. I'm going to go through this very quickly. I'm going to look at like, I think it's 10 expressions of dunamis in the book of Acts. Things that are supernatural, only Jesus could do, or the Holy Spirit could do through the disciples they could not do in their own strength, okay? So the power for the gift of tongues in Acts 2, verse 2 through 4. They had never done it. The Spirit of God comes, so they speak in tongues. 
And then, number two, you have the power to interpret tongues. Like how many of you, so let's just say this, how many of you grew up thinking the gift of tongues that was literally that every single person now had a unique ability to speak the native tongue of those who were in town for Pentecost. Like they were like speaking their native tongue. Well, maybe they were, but scripture's really silent because maybe, listen, what was happening is they were speaking in an angelic language, but there was a gift for the interpretation of tongues so that each person heard them speaking in their own language. This is what Acts 2 says. We each heard them speaking in our own native tongue. How could that be? So we see the power for tongues, the power for interpretation of tongues, which is the work of God's spirit. We see the power for boldness in Acts 2.14. The disciples have been holed up in this room for 40 days, partially because Jesus said to be. The other part was it's not safe. Jesus had been killed. These dudes who were out there still didn't like Jesus and his followers and probably did the same for them. So like, ah, they were probably really happy to lock themselves up in a room. And hang out. But what does Peter do? So he, spe- he steps up in boldness and begins to preach. So then we see the power for preaching. Had Peter ever preached a message before in his life? I have no idea. Again, scripture silent. Let's just assume it was one of his first. I think what we could say, it was definitely his most effective. Get an amen, right? I mean, thousands of people were added to that number of that day. Do you think Peter was really that good? Do you think he was really that great a communicator? He wasn't. It was the power of the Spirit of God. It was unique. He couldn't speak that way. The Spirit of God came and then he could. My favorite story, I've told the story before, man, but of um, the Smith Wigglesworth. Literally, there was a seminary in London that would bring their students to hear uh, Smith speak because they would meet with him before he preached. And, they, and he would start stuttering and a really bad stuttering problem. And he couldn't communicate himself out of a box. He was terrible talking one-on-one. And all of a sudden, he got to preach, and the Spirit of God began to flow. And the professor goes, that's what's called anointing. (laughs) All right? It's in action. He couldn't speak on his own. The Spirit of God began to move, and he could. It happens right here, power of preaching. We see power for evangelism. People can speak fantastic messages, but there's a power for evangelism to the point that when the hearers hear what happens, they are convicted and say, what must we do? And Peter says, repent and believe. And they did. Power for evangelism. You ever heard um, Billy Graham preach back in the day? He was not that great. He wasn't a great communicator. I'll never forget hearing him speak one time going, man, that was not that great. And like 5,000 people came down to get saved. It was a gift of evangelism, the power of the Holy Spirit. In the power of sacrificial love, Acts chapter 2, verse 45 says, They sold their property possessions and were sharing with all as anyone might have need. No sane person in their own natural ability goes, Oh, let me sell everything I have and get to those in need. It was a work of God's Spirit. The only way you get to that place of generosity, excuse me, when we get to that place of sacrificial love for somebody you don't even know that well, is the work of God's Spirit. We see a power for healing. Here we go. Here's one we all know. Jesus passed by a guy at the gate, beautiful, who was lame for a long time, many, many years, and Jesus never healed him. But you know who did? Peter and John. Acts chapter 3, verse 6, they go, hey, we don't have any silver and gold, but what we do have, they would just get up and walk. Okay, yeah. 
had. And everyone was amazed because this man had been lame from birth. Power for healing. Power for confidence or fearlessness. Acts 4.29, Peter and John have gone before the religious leaders. They come back. Everyone's freaking out, right? They are. Oh, God, why the nations rage against us? This is really, really hard. Jesus was persecuted and killed. They just persecuted us. This is really, really hard. So what they prayed, they prayed for boldness. In the next verse, says, and the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. What were they filled with? Boldness. Because it says, and they went and proclaimed the word of God boldly. There's the power of God's Spirit for confidence, for fearlessness. There's the power of generosity, Acts 4.37. Paul, excuse me, Barnabas, sold a field to give to those who were in need. Again, nobody does that on their own accord. It's the Holy Spirit moving inside of them. We have power for wisdom. Acts 6.10, the wisdom of Stephen before the synagogue rulers. And the verse says this, they, rulers, were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And there's power for humility, Acts 7.60. Stephen's literally being stoned to death. And rather than cry out, get angry, cuss at them, which I'm sure none of you would ever do, right? He says, Lord, Jesus, humility, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. I forgive them. Does that seem unnatural? Like, you know what I mean, the context of the world in which we live. But we see the power of the Spirit to do these things, the things we recognize as dunamis miracles, healing, yay. We love all of these things, and they're present, they're available. I've experienced all of them. I've also seen over here the presence of God's Spirit moving in humility, servant nature, people sacrificing, going, that can only be the work of God's Spirit because they're not that great. And my question for us this morning is if you were to pick up and hear this. So this is Dunamis. This is this, this basic, right, taster from Costco of the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, we could spend forever eating, right, of this. It would it'd be like, like, it'd be like whatever, like this massive porterhouse steak. And I've given you like eh, a sliver of one little piece, right? And I was like, it's all this piece. So that should get you stirred because you're like, okay, God. Then, then what's going on and what does this mean for us and what does this mean for my life? Because my question for this morning is this. If you just hypothetically owned a Bible and you picked it up to read it and specifically to read the book of Acts for yourself with no negative experiences revolving around power connected to you with no teachings for the person Ultimately impacting you, nothing from outside impacting you. You just simply sat down with the book of Acts for the very first time and read it and said, what does this mean? What is the writer trying to say? And how does it apply to my life? Where do you think you would land? If experience didn't define you, if someone's denominational affiliation and their theology didn't tell you to define it for you, if some professor didn't define it for you, if some pastor didn't define it for you, how would you define the book of Acts would you, if you read it? Would you think that you needed the Spirit and His power or not? Would you think that you still needed it today and it wasn't just for something yesterday? Would you think that you needed the Bible and it? The great tension for us is so much of what we believe and think are things that we have been taught. Things that 
our experience to explain away our experiences, but what if you just read the book of Acts for itself and you let it speak to you? You let it awaken you. You just took it saying, all right, Luke is trustworthy. He's trying to proclaim truth about the apostles and about all the other disciples. Because it wasn't just apostles who were doing miracles. You ever heard of Philip? You have all these followers of Jesus doing these incredible works. Stephen was one of these too. I will never forget the very first time I really read the book of Acts. I was 15 years old. I'll never forget sitting in my house. I opened up the book and I was like, I've never, I don't, what, what, is, what is Acts? What does that even mean? I had no idea it was Acts of the Apostles. Right? I had no idea what it meant. I'm like, we'll see what it, I started reading through it. And like I sat there, like I read to chapter 4, all the way to chapter 4, and I'm like, man, where did this stuff go in the church? What happened to us? This is pretty awesome. My church is boring. <laughs> right? Like, we've never seen any of this stuff. And it's in the, and, and we need it still. So where did it go? What happened? You've all heard of John Wimber. He said this one time he came out of drugs and got saved and went into, read the book of Acts and went into church one day and said, man, when do we start doing the stuff? And the elder of the church goes, what stuff are you talking about? There's stuff in the book of Acts. He goes, oh, we don't do that stuff anymore. He goes, I gave up drugs for this? Are you kidding me? Right? It's like... There's this stuff, there's stuff available to you, this Holy Spirit power, there's this dunamis, and I don't know about you, but I look at our world today and go, we need dunamis more than they needed it back then. So to think that it's not available to us, that's just mean. What would we do in reading this? What if you read it this week for the very first time? What would you believe? See, I love this picture right here. Here's a beautiful thing. I have no idea what Laura's going to ever paint on. It's so fun. It's kind of like a game, right? It's me in here, me and Laura paint. Mia, stand up real quick. This is right. Look how cute she is, right? Just give her a, yeah, turn around and see your face. Yeah. yeah, you killed it, basically, right? Mia, all the good stuff is because of you up here. Laura's like, yeah, right? So all the good stuff is Mia's. Now, I love this because I'm looking at it going, all right. To have a faith that believes God for miracles like birds landing on my hand requires a child like this, doesn't it? Jesus says, who's going to inherit my kingdom must become like one of these little ones. What is that faith like a child to believe unbelievable things? Like I look at this and I go, it may speak other things to you. That's a beautiful piece of art, right? For you love art. But for me, I'm looking at it going, God just speaks to a child likeness. It speaks to this beauty for God of just seeing beauty, experiencing it, and just expressing it. You've all seen like the statues with St. Francis of Assisi with birds on his hand, right? He was just so in tune with God's creations. Like people said birds would land on whatever. It's like, I don't know, but it's like, God, there's something beautiful about child likeness, believing you for something and reading the book of Acts and actually believing it, living in it experiencing it and then not letting my past failures and unmet expectations to now define my theology to help me feel better about God. To actually press through my unmet expectations, these difficulties and these hardships, to get to the other side and say, God, what are you speaking? Because God, you're still moving and we still need all of these things. 
When I look at foster care, foster care requires the miracles. And I've talked about this stuff. I'm like, you know, God, we need the miracles. We need selfish people to choose selflessness. We need self-oriented people who want to make everything revolve around them to choose other people. How many of you, listen, I was reading through Acts the other day, and I, and I stopped and I went, Jesus, the greatest miracle in Scripture in the New Testament is not the miracle. This isn't the raising of the dead. It's the, the choice of humility, of sacrifice, and selflessness. It's really easy to think, like, yeah, I want to go heal somebody because that feels good. God, I want to die today to myself and choose other people. Which is the greater miracle for you? It's a beautiful piece, this holistic expression of who Jesus is. And when we talk about foster care, that's what we see. People who are living to the best of their ability, selfless. You want to see, like, foster parents will say, yes, we absolutely power the Holy Spirit to move in us as we are loving on bio families and loving on children. Yes, we absolutely need, listen, the power of the Holy Spirit to deal with defects. God loved them. Yes, we absolutely need God's power to move in our home, to be with our own biological children, because it's really hard. We, we, yes, we need God's grace and the power of the Holy Spirit to move to help us to love children who are cussing us out and throwing things and doing all these things to us. Yes, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And that would just say for us, right? Read the book of Acts. Allow it to speak to you. Choose humility. Humility has the ability to hear something over and over and over again, but each time pretend like it's the first time they've ever heard it and allow it to shape them and change them. Don't read the book of Acts to make sure it tells you what you already believe. Read the book of Acts with the Holy Spirit to tell you whatever he wants to tell you. Recognize that dunamis is available for, yes, the miraculous, and yes, for the miraculous of selflessness and of loving and of caring for others in need. Allow God to speak to you about the fullness of his power that's available to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness, your faithfulness, your kindness. We praise you, Jesus. You said you do not leave us alone. And you did not leave us incapable. You did not leave us alone. You sent us your spirit to be with us. But you did not leave us incapable. You sent your spirit to strengthen and to empower us in every area of our lives. And Holy Spirit, today we want to submit ourselves to you where fear has gotten a hold of us. We pray that you remove fear. That you would help us to walk through and to conquer it. And God, to step into things, God, that maybe are hard for us, but to step into these places, Lord, and allow your spirit to lead, God, and direct and to move us to new places as it relates to your dunamis. That, Father, there is power in us through the work of your spirit to die to self. To sacrifice the best of who we are so that others may live to decrease so that you may increase. There is power inside of us to give ourselves away as servants. There is power inside of us, Jesus, to in humility come and lay hands on the sick and begin to see them healed and see miracles happen. Lord, would you deconstruct 
wrong ideologies, wrong theology. And would you reconstruct a Jesus-centered, Trinity-believing theology that believes in the movement of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit, I thank you that your promise to us is that when you come, you bring fruit so that love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control are now ours because you're present with us. So have your way in this, Jesus. Amen. I invite you to respond this morning. First, and just again, we have our offering baskets available every Sunday. This is just an act of worship. We have a little offering box back there, a giving kiosk. We respond to the Lord leads in worship and your tithes and offerings. Number two, ministry teams, I just want to pray for everything going on in your life. I'm going to pray about the things of the Holy Spirit and pray for healing and restoration. I'm going to pray through broken things going on in your life. I'm going to pray for breakthrough in your life. We'd love to pray for you this morning. Communion is available every Sunday. What do we do with communion? Communion is not just remembering and going, hey, thank you for a long time ago. Thank you that what you did yesterday is real today in Jesus. There, your body was broken for my salvation today. Your blood was poured out for my salvation today. So God, whatever I need salvation in, that's who you are today. I want to ask this week that you would take time to read the book of Acts. I want you to ask you just to take time to say, Lord, what do you want to teach me? I want you to take time this week in the context of people not to not to spend more time proving your point, but spend more time listening to other people's points, to embrace conversation. And to allow God to speak something new because his dunamis is present. It hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't handcuffed himself and said, we don't need this stuff anymore. We need all of it. And so we give ourselves to let the Lord do everything in us that he wants to do. And so what you can pray this morning is, all right, Jesus, let's do it. Everything, Holy Spirit, that you have for me, everything that you want me to express, I want that. Let's not put up a wall so you can do this, this, but not any of this. Let's let him do what he wants to do. There's no greater place than be fully and wholly surrendered to the Holy Spirit to say, whatever you, whatever your will be done, your will be done. You respond to the Lord leads. We're officially done with service, so you can go. When you go today, don't forget, we have the pieces of paper here and this raffle outside and then we have that board in the back where you can go and get a child's name and you can put money towards camp this year to be a blessing for you guys have a great week we love you